Welcome everyone to the Vocal Revolution, where we talk about the power of your voice to change the world personally and collectively. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you'd like to stay tuned, please be sure to subscribe on YouTube and Apple Podcasts and share your thoughts in the comments and reviews. We're so thrilled that you're here listening and tuning in and we'd love to hear from you. And Today, we've been looking at one of the forms of our voices, which, as we know, can take many, many forms of expression. My guest today is here to help us understand the journey of finding our written voice, which, of course, we all use every day to communicate, texts, emails, posts. So really, this is about exploring the world of the written voice. So I'm really delighted to welcome our guest today, novelist, short story writer and journalist Anna Saban Lane. Anna studied English and history at university, and then she began her career as a reporter on a South London newspaper, later moving into medical journalism. She's published three amazing novels, which weave literary history into contemporary thrillers and feature her literary sleuth and heroine, Helen Oddfellow, a walking tour guide and an academic who lives in Deptford. The first novel, Unlawful Things, based around the death of Christopher Marlowe, was shortlisted for the Virago New Crime Writer Award and picked as a crime in the spotlight choice by the Bloody Scotland Crime Writing Festival. Her second novel, The Peacock Room, takes inspiration from the London poet and artist William Blake. And the third, The Crimson Thread, returns to Christopher Marlowe and is set in Canterbury, the city of his birth. And I would say it's really remarkable that um, Anna has published all of these within since 2018 to 2021. So that's pretty amazing to publish three novels in that time in my book, <laughs> literally. <laughs> in a case of life imitating art, Anna has now given a guided walk for the Deptford Literary Festival about liter- literary figures in Deptford and recently started teaching creative writing workshops. She lives between South London and the Kent coast. And I was really blessed that Anna came and joined my welcome choir in Crystal Palace and that she also really invited me, generously invited me to join her Creative Conversations podcast. So it's just so lovely to be able to reciprocate that and to invite her to come and share her pearls of wisdom about finding our written voice today. So welcome, Anna. Hello. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Thank you. So lovely to be here. Oh, it's so great you're here. And, you know, it's always wonderfully exciting. I mean, you write thrillers and your thrillers are complete page turners and they are all about following the thread of a person's journey and unraveling that. So maybe you could tell us before we get into talking about the novels, tell us a little bit about the unraveling of your journey, your thread of writing that's run through your life. And how did you find your voice as a writer? Yeah, well, like with most of these things, it goes a long, long way back. Um, you know, I started writing uh, as soon as I could write, pretty much, I think, um, as, a, as a small child. Um, I recently found um, at my parents' place um, my first novel written when I was about nine. Oh. The, life, 
The Life and Times of Captain O'Neill, which was I'd obviously been reading um, adventure stories, and uh, it was all about a boy who um, became a cabin boy on a sailing ship and then rose up through the ranks and became um, a, a captain of his own ship and went off exploring the world. And uh, that was obviously what was uh, what was floating my boat at the time. <laughs> Sounds so really exciting. Funny. Um, so I have, I've, I've always written, um, I wrote lots of stories when I was at school. Um, I enjoyed writing essays and so on. Um, then I went to university and um, like a lot of people, I think, doing an English and history degree or doing an English degree, you read you know, the canon, the most amazing books, and you become sort of massively intimidated. And I pretty much stopped writing at that point. Yeah. Um, and, you know, did a huge amount of reading, obviously, um, which you had to do, and, and wrote lots of essays and all the rest of it. Um, but it almost made it more difficult to write stories um, because I was thinking too much about it. And I, mean, I found this, saw this Neil Gaiman quote the other day, which I really like. Um, Most of us find our voices only after we've sounded um, a lot like, like a lot of other people. And I think for any writer particularly most of us are, are huge readers before we become writers and I think most of us start off trying you know trying voices out for, for size if you've been reading a lot of one type of, of author then you you probably will start off trying to write like them or if you're a really big fan of a particular genre then you might try that and you'll probably you know whether you mean to or not sound an awful lot like the the writer that you read most of um and I think kind of working my way through that took a long time and partly it took a long time because I didn't uh at any stage think I'm going to be you know a full-time author um I was at the university you know most of my friends were going off to do teaching which is the typical thing if you do that sort of subject and I knew I didn't want to teach um so I decided to become a journalist which meant I had a fantastic um, career writing other people's stories uh, and writing very much in the set style for what, what, whichever um, publication I was writing for at the time, so from local newspapers um, through to more professional magazines. And at one stage I was writing for um, a kind of women's mags. So I, I learned to write in lots of different styles for work. And the stories I was telling were not my stories. They weren't fiction. Uh, they weren't personal. Usually they were about somebody else. Um, and I think it was a really useful education. Um, not, not least, it gives you so much material to draw on later. You know, a lot of my books, particularly the first book, um, I used quite a lot of things that had, I'd been writing about, stories that I'd written about when, as a journalist. And that sort of fed into, um, into some of the, the, the sort of plots. Um, but I only really went back to writing fiction with any kind of intent um, when I hit 40. And I sort of thought, OK, I'm not really sure what I'm waiting for now. I've always wanted to write a novel. <laughs> you know, I'd better get on with it kind of thing. Um, so I did. And, um, I, you know, I wrote lots of short stories. I did writing courses, uh, which were hugely uh, useful, really to just help me 
get out of my own way a bit so I understand um, some of the the rules of writing fiction um, which you have to know about in order to be able to break them later um, and to understand a bit about structuring a novel. Structure is always the biggest problem for me so the thing that I struggle with and so when I started doing creative writing classes, taking classes, uh, that was what I wanted to understand was how on earth do you construct a plot you know, it's looking at it from the outside and any plot of any well-written novel, it just looks like some sort of miracle. You know, how did they take all of that stuff and weave it together and make this, you know, this house of cards that all stands up, whereas my, my house of cards tended to fall down after about three chapters. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, um, it took a long time to work out how to do that um the answer is by the way one step at a time and, uh, you know keep building on it and building on it and building on it and, and have faith um so I suppose the sort of books I wanted to write changed as well so I think if I look back when I was a, a teenager at school I was kind of writing you know the sort of romances you saw in Just 17 or Jackie magazine or whatever um and by the time I was writing in my 40s, I was, I'd, I'd moved out of sort of wanting to write kind of terribly literary novels that, you know, broke all the rules and used no punctuation or anything like that. And I wanted to write the sort of novels that I actually enjoyed reading, uh, which were not novels pretending to be Virginia Woolf or whatever, you know, <laughs> they were well-written, good, um, pacey uh, novels with a plot. Um, so that's what I set out to try and do. Fantastic. And you've absolutely done it. You know, they're just as they are really fast paced plots. And as I said, I mean, I've uh, read all three and, and they're just such page turners. I was definitely up very late one night trying to finish them <laughs> and then frightening myself to death because, of course, there's lots of grisly um, murders and crimes involved as well. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, th yeah, thank you for that. And, you know, that's a very, like, almost a metaphor for life, isn't it? When you're saying about plotting things out, you have to just go one one step at a time and keep the faith. That's quite a, you know, quite a, a, yeah. a message for, for life. Um, and what would you say your your where you are now in your plot because it was lovely to hear how your personal plot has kind of unraveled and and how wonderful to hear that your journalism has infused your novels and to hear that cross weaving of our experiences which I think as 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 creatives is something that we do is we draw on all our raw material um from all the different parts of our lives uh, from our nine-year-old novelist to our mature journalist self there's so much material isn't there and um the preciousness of that early voice and perhaps recovering that and finding that in a new way as an adult um but what would you say your your kind of mission is now for the written word or and also maybe how you endeavor to share it with others because I know you're sharing creative workshops now as well mm. Um, my mission at the moment is really to write more, um, write more, um, yeah, write, more. <laughs> write more of the sort of books that I want to read. I mean, that's that's what it comes back to. And the sort of books that I really enjoy are books that are very entertaining, 
but we're also, um, I'll learn something. And that's probably the thread that connects all the types of books that I enjoy. Because I, I read, like most writers, I think I read quite widely across different genres. But what will make a book stay with me, I read a lot of historical fiction and, and that's largely because I'm learning something that I didn't know before. You know, historical fiction is absolutely the best way of learning history. Yes. <laughs> I shouldn't say that as an, as an historian, but, you know, it's it's so, it's so much fun. Um, I, I've also learned how to research for writing. So I enjoy doing historical research. Um, the, the influences on my books at the moment come from absolutely everywhere they come from from what's happening in the present day so certainly um the, the book that I'm working on at the moment is set it's pretty much set now minus a couple of months really um so the whole I didn't want to write a pandemic novel but I wanted to write a, a novel where the people have been through it and that that's had an impact on them mm. so I didn't want to write about the day-to-day of sort of isolation and masks and COVID tests and the rest of it but I wanted to be writing with those characters, with my character Helen Oppolo, having been through two years where it's been really hard and she's not been able to see her friends and she's not, you know, she's been through that sort of same kind of isolation that we've all been through. So that's kind of feeding into it. Um, work that I, um, volunteering that I do with a, a refugee charity and what I've learned through that, some of that's feeding into the plot of the current novel. Um, but then so is Charles Dickens. Um, and uh, Dickens is, has been a big, uh, you know, favourite author of mine all my life. And he's, the, 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 the books always have a sort of, you know, writer that they're kind of based around and or who's very important to them. And, and Dickens is that one for this, uh, this novel in progress. So um, I've sort of woven this mystery around uh, the early work of Charles Dickens and uh, his first novel, well, his first Probably it's often seen as his first novel, Oliver Twist, although you can you can make arguments about that. Um, and uh, so everything that kind of, I mean, like you say, all of the influences that go into it, I mean, they, they go back to, you know, having watched Oliver Twist as a you know, musical as a child, um, you know, having reread it now, um, everything I've learned about, about Charles Dickens, the pandemic, um, you know, just about anything you could mention that I've, I've, heard about or read about is going to feed in or is could feed in in one way or another and um, so inspiration is absolutely all around and I think that's that's probably the first thing that I would say to the people who want to write because often people say I really want to write but I'm not sure what to write about well okay so just write about what's on your mind at the moment you know what, what are you thinking about at the moment um, and for people particularly who haven't um, written before or haven't written creatively before the first thing is to sort of say look it's not scary because you do this already you already write we all write we send each other text messages whatsapp messages uh, we write facebook posts we write shopping lists you know everyone writes um, we're, we're an incredibly literary uh, culture uh, you know whether, whether you would think of it as literature or not um so one of the exercises that I do for my creative writing classes is say okay what's the last thing that you wrote that you actually wrote down you know is it a, an exchange of text messages is it a, a shopping list or or whatever okay now take that and 
make it creative by, for example, you know, you use an exchange of text messages to set up with your friend the best night out you can possibly imagine. You know, what would, what would that look like? You know, write a Facebook page in which you, you talk about, you know, your, your, your favourite day or your best ever day or write us a, a, a packing list for your, your dream holiday. You know, so it's something that kind of gets your imagination going, but it's not... Because people worry a lot about style and about, oh, you know, I, I don't have a highfalutin style or whatever. Well, for one, you know, highfalutin style is usually horrible to read, so uh, that's fine. Um, <laughs> but if you're if you're just using the sort of words that you use in everyday life, then it stops being scary. And, yes. and you just, you can then start to bring in things. So you can then start to, to think about, well, if I was telling this story to a friend uh, who I'd not seen for a while, how would I start it? You know, what, what would the first thing I, you know, would I start off by saying, you will never believe what's just happened to me. And then everyone's like, ooh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> ooh, tell me more. So you sort of set up the story and then how do you make it most more interesting? And you maybe use suspense or you use humour um, or you try and use um, metaphors and images um, to give sensory details to sort of talk, to make people feel like they were there. Um, and that's exactly the sort of techniques that you're going to be using in a novel to kind of draw people into the action. So a lot of writing is just about taking the sort of techniques that we use anyway when we're talking to our friends um, and bringing them into our writing. So it, it, it's it's not magic. Sometimes it feels a little bit like magic, <laughs> but it isn't magic. It's It's very much, you know, skills that you've already got and just learning how to bring them together. Yeah, it's sort of transferring, isn't it, from over from everyday life. And I love that exercise. That's a really good one to just break down the, because there's so much, as you said, I also did a literature degree and I came out with my head stuffed full of books, which I loved, but I also could, was then kind of quite creatively incapacitated because I was so full of other people's ideas and, and the reverence for other people's ideas as well, which had been an amazing learning curve. But um yeah, but I think that that can be a big stumbling block to people to say, how can I say I'm a writer when there were all these other great writers and they've all been, you know, um, and we know, of course, that historically only certain types of writer have been held up to us sometimes in terms in a patriarchal society. Um, so, you know, sometimes we may feel that our voice is not as valid, perhaps, as other voices in the sort of zeitgeist let's say but fortunately that's changing now and it is being becoming diversifying but I think one of that things is is just coming back down to that thing that we all write every and we all have a voice and therefore we can all express ourselves through what you know the written idiom as you say and just starting with what you do every day and making making that a little bit more is is uh, yeah and I love the idea of creating suspense as well because I know one of your novels starts with your villain cleaning a gun and that's just such a great enticing thing because immediately you're thinking oh no what's going to happen with this gun and you know all that it's such a great you're sucked in from the word go you know um so I, I love that that you know you think what could be my my hook point and we use those all the time again in 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 life if something's just happened to us or we do we express that with each other 
and yes. life is, you know, oh, I've got to tell you this, or I've got, you know, this thing has happened or whatever, you know. So yeah, life is full of hook points, isn't it? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for sharing all of those wonderful, you know, um, tips. And I wanted to also say about your amazing heroine, um, because you touched on her and the journey she's been on and that you're also going to take her on the journey of recovery from pandemics. So I really look forward to hearing that journey. But I wondered, were there a specific person that inspired you or certain role models you have? Because she is amazing. You know, she's shinning up um, in, in one of them, she's shinning up drain pipes in a red satin dress. She's she's chasing after murderers. She's just she's just an incredible, uh, inspiring, and also very real. And she's real, very real and beautifully drawn um, personality. So I wondered if yeah, there was an inspiration for her somewhere in life. Well, thank you so much. I mean, yes, she she is. Um, there, there was a sort of jumping off point for her um, in terms of inspiration because um, I have a friend who is a London walking tour guide and walking around London with her is completely amazing because um, she spots things all the time. She's incredibly observant um, and she'll notice things and know about things that I won't even have noticed. You know, we'll sort of walk down the street, oh, look at that that means that house used to be owned by such and such as someone who was in this guild or whatever. And I thought, God, this is so interesting. You see a place so differently through someone's eyes when, when they have all this specific knowledge. Yes. And I was kind of playing with the idea of I wanted, I wanted to write um, a thriller. I was actually, the, the original inspiration for, for thinking I must be able to write something like this um, was Dan Brown's uh, Da Vinci Code, oh, and I was I, I wanted to read a, a novel that was as exciting and as fast paced as that, that also brought in lots of interesting stuff, but that was frankly um, less cringy to read from the dialogue <laughs> because you know, it, I don't think even he would say that dialogue's his strength, for example. Um, so I was thinking, well, who would what profession would be, I didn't want it to be, you know, another sort of uh, university professor or whatever. Um, but I was thinking, oh, London talk, I would be, these people know London so well. And also she, you know, knows her stuff so well. I thought it's quite interesting. And uh, yes, yeah, so, so that kind of sparked me off along the idea that perhaps she was a, a, a tour guide and and then obviously I gave her lots of my own interests like uh, Christopher Marlowe and, uh, and, and literature and, and, and so on um, but beyond that I mean she's really you know she's just like a, a, a much braver and more intelligent version of me you know she's she's the me I, I wish I could be she's also six foot I, I thought that if I made her really tall then no one would think that I was you know, this was meant to be me because I'm really quite short. Um, but it's probably just wish fulfillment again. <laughs> You've invented a beautiful alter ego. And uh, yes, um, I'm sure she does express many of your qualities and your bravery and your risk taking. And that's coming out through your writing. You know, it, it's always a risk to put put marks on a page, you know, and in, to express ourselves. So, you know, you're being courageous with your writing and have been throughout your career I'm sure having to write about all sorts of things um so yeah it is a courageous act I believe and and you're right we do learn through your novel we learn so much and I I also enjoy a lot of historical fiction for that reason because it is a really fun way 
to learn history, especially if you're, it's very clever the way you guide us through the eyes of someone who knows about history and who knows about literature. And so this, your novels have this lovely multi-layered because you've got the world of the artist you know, whether it's William Blake or Marlowe or it's going to be Dickens, very exciting. Um, you know, you're in that world with them, but you're also in the contemporary world with what's going on there. And also the sort of the world of the study of that person as well. And and the kind of literary world as well of, of how that person's artistry is now being transmitted today. So there's kind of all these different levels going on. And then as well, a really racy drama going on as well that's happening. Whoa, what's going to happen next? And it's all powered by a great sense of momentum, which I, I really love. But I love that you weave, yeah, all those threads together. It's 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 fantastic. Sometimes and, some of the weaving has to happen afterwards. I, I think it will this time as well. I'm sort of racing ahead with, you know, I can see the end of the thriller plot in sight and I'm, I seem to have lost my literary plot somewhere. <laughs> and I'm going to have to go back and, uh, you know, weave it back in, I think. Yeah, put Dickens in under the place where the person gets stabbed or something. <laughs> um, yeah, and I was interested, I was wondering if you'd had to, as a journalist, write a lot about a lot of crime because, um, or what made you go for a crime thriller uh, particularly? Um, I don't think I realised I'd written a crime thriller until after I'd written it when I was trying to pitch it to agents. Yes. And people were saying, well, what sort of, what genre is it? And I sort of tried to describe it. And then someone said, oh, it's a crime then. Like, oh, OK, that's, that's, what, that's what it is. <laughs> that's um, great. Yeah. <laughs> Did I, I? I covered some crime, certainly. Um, on local newspapers, I used to cover, well, everything, but including crime. Um, so, yeah, I used to do the police rounds and you'd go around the police stations on a Monday morning usually and sort of see what had happened over the weekend. And if there was anything exciting, they'd kind of go through the crime book with you. Um, and occasionally I'd go out on, um, the, the, the police would sort of, take you out on for you know an evening in a patrol car that sort of thing and um I mean the, the big thing that I remember from my first few years in journalism I hadn't been working very long at all um was you know the dreadful uh, murder I was working in in South London um of Stephen Lawrence and uh, Stephen uh died um on uh, in a part of London that I was covering at the time and which I knew quite well and so I was one of the reporters from the paper um, kind of covering um, the aftermath the immediate aftermath of, of his death um, and then also all of the protests and um, you know his funeral I remember very well was absolutely heartbreaking um, but there were also some protests um where there was the, you know, anti-Nazi league on one side, and then there were also the British National Party uh, turned up um, as well. And a, a couple of those protests turned quite violent. And there's a, a scene in Unlawful Things of um, 
of street fighting breaking out and the police being unable to you know sort it out and, and the journalist who my, my journalist character who in some ways is actually closer to me I think than, than Helen in terms of you know who, who I feel more like sometimes um who's covering the the protest ends up getting bashed over the back of the head and, and loaded into an ambulance and that actually happened to me at this one of these protests I did get bashed over the back of the head and loaded into an ambulance wow. so um yeah, so some of those experiences certainly um, came through. And I suppose y- you get a general, any illusions you might have had about, you know, the general kindness of, of people or about, you know, most people don't aren't violent. You know, the, y- you see that this does happen. Um, there are some some dreadful people out there and and there's, there's awful hatred and that yeah people take it out on each other in physical ways and and I think seeing seeing things like that being around when that sort of thing happens um I don't know whether it made it easier to write the book I think it certainly made it easier to understand things like the fear that you feel in those situations because certainly I did (laughs) yeah I can imagine scary situation I can imagine. Yes. And you do paint that really, you know, because I'm definitely when I'm reading them, I'm on the edge of my seat because I'm like going, oh, my goodness, this is frightening. And that's partly because, yes, the story itself, but also because the way you take us into empathy with the characters and that you take us into really um, how they're feeling um, at different times. And especially if they're being pursued or abducted or whatever. So, yeah, it's um, it's Mm -hmm. yes, definitely in that feeling of being. I think all of us in London, you know, walk these streets with awareness of quite a lot of stuff that stuff goes on, right? <laughs> Around stuff goes stuff on. Goes on. Yeah. Stuff goes on. And um, so we all have to walk the streets with that awareness, especially at night time. And um, so sometimes the way you describe, you know, your heroine walking the streets and then that feeling, oh, she might be being watched or stalked or you know or they might yeah all of those things are very kind of things that we can all empathize with I'm sure we've all had a moment where we thought is that person watching me or <laughs> you know it's, yeah. it's uh, something we can all relate to those kind of mm. fears um so yeah thank you they're so they're so well well drawn the cr- the crime side of it so yeah I was just curious to know yeah if yeah and, and great to hear that you were well um that yeah it draws on your experiences um it's fantastic um because it's always fascinating I always find there's a story always there's the book and then there's the story behind the book as well isn't there the story of you writing it and the story of your life story and that's what we're exploring and what about um people's responses to the books um you know how, how have they been have there been some that particularly touched you or how have people responded yeah, um, I mean that's been one of the absolute joys and delights, frankly, of of daring to publish, you know, of putting it out into the world. Because especially with the first book, I mean, my goodness, I, I you're so anxious as to what people are going to say, and of course, I did it a little bit at a time. In that, you know, there were various professionals who'd seen it, and then there was a, a group of. Um, not always friends, but certainly people who who I knew who'd who'd offered to be advanced readers and give me feedback and that sort of thing. Um, but I, I can remember getting that first feedback and just the relief, um, not least that people understood what I was trying to do. Yes. And I think that was hugely important um, that 
what I'd set out to do was tell a particular sort of story and to weave in these different strands and that people got that, that yes, that, that worked. Um, so enormous relief, first of all. Um, there was one particular response, um, someone who had been given the book by a friend who thought she'd like it. And she came up and uh, we actually met and she came up and, and told me, oh, I've, I've read your book. And she said, at the time when I was reading it, my mother was really ill. And um, she actually, I think, went on and, and, and uh, it was a terminal illness. She did die. She said, during that period, which was incredibly difficult, it was so lovely to be able to just completely escape into the book. And whilst I was reading it, I wasn't thinking about anything else. And it was just a real escape for me. And I thought, oh, my goodness. You know, I, I was almost in tears. It was so mm. lovely to hear. Um because really that's what I wanted was to be to write something that would catch someone up so much that they could forget about everything else whilst they were reading it and that they would really just get pleasure and enjoyment and and excitement out of and the fact that someone gets that much out of something that I've written I still find you know really quite extraordinary um and yeah, I've had some lovely reviews and that's just been fantastic that people, you know, people telling me that they they stayed up half the night reading it because they couldn't put it down. I mean, you know, sorry, but that's just absolute music to my ears completely. You know, it's so lovely to hear people say things like that because that's what you work towards. You know, it's not accidental. Um, it's things like writing a chapter and stopping it at the point where you think, you'd have to read on, you know, that that, that thing. I mean, as a, as a child, I was one of those kids, you know, one more chapter, just finish this page, reading under the bedclothes. And so I know that there are points where you have to keep reading. And that's what you, maybe not when I'm writing the first draft, but certainly when I'm editing, that's what I'm aiming for, is to finish the chapter at the point where someone really just wants to read the next chapter to see what happens. Yes. Um so that's 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 lovely. Um, in some ways, the I mean, obviously, not all of the reviews are good, um, and any author will say that they occasionally, um, you know, make the mistake of going and reading the reviews on Goodreads or on on Amazon. And there's always one, and you can read ten great reviews, and then there's one that isn't great, and that is the one that you could repeat word for word two years later. <laughs> <laughs> It's always the case. Um, now they actually bother me less than they did. I honestly can say that um, because I do see that they're outweighed by the the positive ones. And you know, you can shrug your shoulders. Not everyone's going to like everything that you write, and that's fine. Um, and you know, I don't like everything I read, and you know, other people might. So it, it, I, I've learned not to take it personally in the same way. I think the thing that's, um, that might have bothered me more is people that I, people who are close to me reading it um, and what they might have thought. I have to say the first time my parents wrote, uh, read my book, I did find myself thinking, oh gosh, how many swear words were there? <laughs> 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 Things like that. And, yeah. and you know, um, and how dark does it get? And, and, <laughs> and the things, the books, I mean, some of them do get quite dark. And I do have friends who say, 
God, Anna, you know what? You wouldn't know what goes on in your head. <laughs> and occasionally my husband will sort of look at me when he's read something and say, how do you think of these things? <laughs> That's um, well, our imagination. You know, it's imagination. And, and it's a writer's imagination, which I mean, never say to a writer, what's the worst that can happen? Because, oh, you know, just get me started. I mean, I can think of a thousand things that are the worst things that can happen. And and I suppose in a way that's what I'm doing when I'm writing scary things in, in thrillers is holding up something that would terrify me and thinking, okay, so how is my heroine going to deal with this? You know, yeah. th- these things happen, so how do you deal with them? So it's almost yes. like a bit of a rehearsing. yes. Yes, absolutely. And these things, what I loved is the way that you made, um, you make these, this, the literary story very relevant to threats that we might experience today. So, for example, with the last, um, the Peacock Room about William Blake, um, the mm-hmm. fact that you had woven in Blake's artwork with a content with the idea of a contemporary artist who more or less bastardizes that and turns it into something for their own agenda on the internet. And we know that that happens and, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to give away too much of the plot, but, but it really turns it to a, a very dark purpose. And we know that there is lots of stuff on the, on, on the web that can be very threatening and can be serving agendas that are really scary, but it was really mm-hmm. great to see that being, you know, being tackled and that you were brave enough to, 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 to go into that world, imagine what it might be like if that world started then spilling out into, you know, and there's this point where the villain who's manufacturing this art suddenly says, right, now it's time to take this into the world. And you're going, ah, you know, yeah. <laughs> no, no, yeah. no, no. You know, it's mm. bad enough online, like, you know, yes. so, um, so that, but it is, it's that stepping up of, sort of danger levels and of course that's Mm. great for for building the suspense in the book um but also it happens in our lives doesn't it a lot of threats start sort of in the imagination and then fortunately as I think was it there was one author who said most of the things I'm frightened of have never happened yet (laughs) but um but there is a lot of stuff isn't there in our imagination which fortunately never comes to pass because of um just just life is generally a little bit can be a bit kinder than that but then sometimes your worst fear does happen and the worst we do see it happen and that's why yeah it's and it and it's good that you've had the bravery to go into those places because they're they're happening Sadly. Well, I think, I mean, with on with um, the Peacock Room, I was I, I noticed and how much abuse, really unpleasant, um, worse than unpleasant, dreadful abuse, a lot of women in the public eye get um, online, um, and how vicious it can be. And you know, I'm I'm not someone who has ever attracted anything like that. Thank goodness, you know. I'm, purely I'm sure because I don't uh, have a high enough profile um but you know the sort of abuse that women politicians get and 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 campaigners and so on um and I'm sort of becoming aware of this around about mm, 2016 17 18 I suppose when the idea for the peacock room was starting to come through and just thinking well you know where does this come from you know who are these people and so I did a bit of you know background research and reading and 
you know, looked at what sort of things were. I followed a whole load of female politicians on Twitter just to see what the responses were to what they posted. And it was really shocking, you know, whether you agree with their politics or not was completely irrelevant. And then, of course, you know, tragically, we have seen politicians being you know, actually killed for by by people who who one would have hoped would have just stuck in the stuck to their bedroom, you know, as a keyboard warrior. So it did make me think. Well, there is there's a dangerous movement here, and and yeah, anything that that really bugs me. Eventually, I think I have to write about it, really, just to kind of face it and look at it and try and make some kind of sense of it. I suppose I think that's what I'm nearly always doing with with writing is is trying to make sense of something by writing about it that's a really powerful testimony and that's yeah certainly I've found that about writing and um and sometimes it's just a moment isn't it you know you just a moment that you're trying to make sense of and sometimes there's something much bigger that takes on a, takes requires a lot more unraveling and and yeah the, the, that theme that you've just described about um online abuse and how that might transfer to life um and has transferred to life in really tragic mm. ways. We know um, that whole theme that, you, of course, that's a big, big, big thing. To, and you've explored that across the whole novel. And I love that you say that that's therapeutic for you. And I wondered, you know, um, whether you, you've also seen in your teaching of other people, whether you've seen that that's also therapeutic for others when you're helping people find their writing voice or anyone who's thinking of finding their voice um have you seen that be therapeutic or beneficial for them no um I probably haven't done enough teaching to see that in other people I mean therapeutic is I'm not sure that's quite the right word um it I like it's more about helping to think about it helping to think it through it doesn't necessarily offer any comfort you know quite the reverse sometimes um but it it allows I suppose what writing can do is allow you to think about something in a reasonably safe space um because you know you're um you're setting the boundaries here you're deciding what can or can't happen um yeah I don't know how therapeutic fiction can be. Um, I know that it's something that I need to do. I'm not sure that I do it as for therapeutic reasons, I think, yeah. Mm. Maybe more <laughs> cathartic then, or just that sense, yeah. as you say, of having yeah. a good old grapple with um, with an issue. You know, and that's, I guess I've, I've found that sometimes, yeah, there's just a moment and I feel like... Um, I just happened recently, I was on a train and was passing just one man in a mask and a black hat. And and he was just like an ink blot against the station, which was, you know, just all this kind of beige kind of panelling. It was just him on the station and me on my own in the, uh, you know, in the train. It just said something about the solitariness of this time that we've just been through to me. But it took me a while to write the poem to figure out what does that just mean to me? But for some reason, just for that split second of passing him in the train, it just, his, his figure caught my, caught my attention. And sometimes it's just, isn't it? Just being able to go, why did that strike me? I just need to make sense of it in some words and then processing. Maybe it's the word, it doesn't have to be therapeutic necessarily, but just processing, unraveling. There's lots of words I think we could use, isn't there? But um, yeah, anyway. And that yeah. is the... no I think I think grappling with things and and yeah <laughs> catharsis yeah 
Yeah, yeah, and wonderful. That's really great. And um, I also loved that in the book you you had a chorister in your <laughs> last book, and I wondered if you could say anything about having explored singing and the singing voice and the written voice and anything about that that you've observed as well because they're all voices they are well I mean joining the choir was simultaneously the scariest thing and the best thing that I had you know done for years um I enjoyed it hugely but I was I was really terrified of of joining the choir because I hadn't sung since school and at school I had I guess learned that I had a terrible singing voice and I shouldn't really sing so I just didn't sing for you know uh, however many years that was um I mean, for for me, singing in the choir was almost like the antithesis of writing in that it's such a communal thing. And that was what's so lovely about it. And in fact, that's what gave me the courage to actually do it at all, was that I wasn't having to listen to my voice. I was, you know, adding my voice to the lovely noise that everybody else was making and, you know, hoping to add to it rather than, than make it worse. You know? uh, but th- this kind of, this, this beautiful communal feeling where everyone's adding something and you're making something that's more than some of your parts, um, which, is, which is choral singing, um, was just absolutely joyful. And it enabled me to enjoy music and making music in a way that I hadn't done since I was a kid. Um, and I mean, I love listening to lots of different types of music, actually. Um, but I, I really love listening to singing. And um, there's something about particularly sort of early music for me. So, uh, you know, Purcell, uh, Thomas Tallis, and those sort of, um, you know, Bach. Uh, listening to choral work that they've written is just enormously uplifting. I mean, I've never seen myself as a spiritual person, but you feel something very, you know, bigger than yourself and kind of uplifting with those kind of pieces of music. Um, I heard Sir Thomas Tallis's Spemenalium again on the radio just the other day, and it is just so glorious. And there's something about that. And, and I'd always sort of watched it and thought, God, wouldn't it be amazing to be one of those voices? And you know, our choir isn't quite uh, <laughs> isn't quite doing Spemenalium yet. But some of the, the the songs that we did with lots of different parts and um, it all sort of swelling together felt just glorious. And, and I really, really got so much out of being able to do that. And I didn't really think um, that it had gone into my writing until, um, as you said, I, I realised well I have I have written a choir boy. And um, this choir boy, Josh, who uh, is in the Crimson Thread, and he's uh, one of the choristers at Canterbury Cathedral. Um, and I think I started off wanting to write him because I thought, you know, it would just be, he'd be a good character to have, you know, a small inquisitive boy who might see things that other people didn't see. And, you know, he'd be sort of a good ally for, for Helen in, in finding clues and so on. And then I realised that in order to write about him meaningfully, you know, music is the big thing in his life. It's the most important thing in his life. It's why he's there. Um, And I had to be able to write about how he felt when he sang. And I just wouldn't have had a clue where to start if I hadn't been singing in the choir. So I did write about, you know, him feeling this glorious uplifting when they're all singing together and this sort of feeling of, rising up into the air and I think I wrote something about them sort of it was like they were you know 
playing in the clouds and kind of rolling down each other's voice and up the other side and the sort of thing, um, which did come very much from how I felt in some of the singing that we've done together and, and this sort of buoying up that I, I, I'd enjoyed. So, yeah, it was an experience that I wouldn't have had and I hadn't previously had that I could then begin to write about when I was writing Josh as, as a, a character. Uh, so, yeah, that was that was I mean, it was it was great. And I think if I'd not been able to write about how Josh felt when he was singing, he wouldn't have been a whole character. That's so beautiful. And I, yeah, I was particularly struck with the beauty of that passage where you describe how he feels about being in the choir and the sound of the choir and also how he uses singing. Again, I'm not giving any, uh, the, the plot away, but he uses singing to help um, to help him get, shall I say, found or rescued? I don't oh, want to yes. give too much Brilliant. away. So he uses singing um, in a powerful way. And that, that again, I was like, woo, look at that, you know. So, and yeah, again, the just this understanding of the, there's so many levels of our voice and it was it was so such so lovely having you sing with us in the choir and as you say we're not quite Thomas Tallis because we are a community choir but you know it's um it's still it's joyful it's joyful singing is um is absolutely a joyful experience and that's what I love is the parts all coming together and building as you say that whole that's greater than the sum of its parts so that's beautifully articulated thank you and um You've given us lots and lots of insight. Thank you so much. It's just been so valuable. And I'm sure everyone listening has really um, benefited from it. And, and I hope is feeling intrigued to go out and read these amazing books. Please do go and find Anna. Um, where's your website, Anna? It's annasaverlane.com. Fantastic. Thank you. And also, if you had, I know you've shared quite a few tips with us um, about finding the writing voice in terms of, you know, choose the everyday, use the everyday things, the, the texting. If there's any kind of parting thoughts you'd like to leave anyone mm -hmm. thinking that they might write, but they're feeling a bit scared about it, or they want to explore more of their writing voice, what would you say? Yeah. Well, something that I don't think I realized when I started writing fiction is it's like anything else you get better at it the more you do yeah. um you need to practice like if you were playing the violin you'd practice and the more you practice the better you get and a lot of people say write every day I mean ideally yes do I write every day no of course I don't you know <laughs> um but the more that you can the better um find a try and find a place in your day that works for you to write um I quite often start off before I write uh, before I go into the novel I'll I've got a notebook um and I just sit there with a pencil and a notebook and I kind of write down whatever's in my head at the moment um you know for half an hour or until I feel that I want to move on to the book um sometimes it's just really useful to clear all of the stuff out of your head that you're kind of worrying about I mean particularly at the moment it's really difficult sometimes you know you hear these terrible headlines on the news about dreadful things happening in Ukraine and you think oh how can I go and write fiction after listening to all this and and you sort of I mean you know the answer is well it's not going to make it any better for anyone if you don't you know um so we we we, we all have have our, our jobs to do but you know, sitting down and, and writing down all of the things that are 
bugging me, that are worrying me. Sometimes just writing about, isn't it a beautiful morning? And look, I can see the plum blossom out the window and how pretty it is and, and listen to the bird song. Um, it just helps me clear the day, but it also creates a, a kind of a, a writing practice. Um, and it also it's it's my time where I can write anything I want. So if I want to just try something out, if I want to try and write a poem, which I very rarely need to do, I can write it then. You know, it, it's your time. No one can tell you what to write. Experiment, write anything and everything you want um, and just see how it goes. Um, if you do want to write fiction, actually, I really do recommend doing um, creative writing courses because I learned a huge amount, um, which I think enabled me to write my first novel. I think I would have, I think I might have got there in the end, but it, it certainly helped an enormous amount to understand what I was trying to do and to learn the techniques. And this is it, you know, you wouldn't try and learn the violin just by picking up a violin and sort of soaring away at it once a day, you know, yeah. you'd go and get a teacher and you'd learn. Um, and I think it's it's similar with writing. People say, oh, you can't teach people to write. Well, you can. Hmm. Um, you can't teach people to write like another person necessarily because, you know, they will have their own voice and they'll find their own voice. Maybe you can't teach people to write brilliantly, but you can certainly teach people to write better. Um, and the more you practice, as I said, the better that you'll get. Um, yeah, so give it a try. Um. <laughs> Thank you. You know, and that's very true of, of many things, isn't it? Because I think, and it's the same I would say for the singing voice, is that really we're not teaching people to do it, you know, like somebody else does it. We're just trying to provide tools to help people find the voice that's inside them, which is unique yeah. to them. And that will be the same, whether it's written or sung or spoken, you know, it's, it's unique. And it's just finding that sometimes we need those forms and those places and also some tools and some, some guidance or some structures Like you said, you were looking for help with structure. There was something particularly that you wanted help with. And so then you found that and that's sped up the process, you know, for you. Mm. Um, so I think it's really important to acknowledge that we all, it's really great to learn. It's really fantastic to learn. And that also whatever learning has, hopefully that we have supports that, 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 that expression of our voice and our uniqueness. And, uh, mm. and there are some wonderful workshops like your own to, to uh, come and to come and experience that and to mm. come and share that and also be in a supportive environment as well. I think it's, it's good, isn't it? To see other people, like you described about the choir, the communal sense, and I'm sure that happens in writing groups in a different way, but that sense of we're all on an, a creative endeavour here together, so let's support each other's voice. Yeah. You, you've just reminded me of something. Um, one of the things that I learned in the choir was that my voice, my singing voice, is much lower than I'd assumed it was. Um, and once I knew that, that's fine. I could now find, you know, where I felt comfortable singing my register. Um, and I think there's a similar thing with with writing. You know, you, you a good teacher will help you find the thing you're really good at. Maybe you, you've actually got a fantastically funny turn of phrase. Maybe you've got a really interesting slant ways way of looking at the world. A good teacher will kind of try and help you find what you're really good at, um, you know, where you feel comfortable writing. Brilliant. That's beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. It's finding your uniqueness. And we've had singers 
um, speaking actually on some of our other episodes, it reminds me of Jill Manley, who came on quite early when I started the podcast. And she talked about that. She talked about one of her teachers teaching her that the breaks in her voice were actually the strengths. And she'd always been worried because she had because most people have what we call a break in the voice between registers. And it's totally normal and fine. But it sounds a bit more dramatic than it really is. But she's actually had two, which was really unusual. And she was like, you know, thinking there was something wrong. But this her, her teacher was had a good teacher who showed her, no, that's a that's an asset. You, and this is how you sing to use that. So, as you say, it's about bringing out. And sometimes what we consider to be our eccentricities or our vulnerabilities can actually be our strengths, if, you know, mm. surprisingly. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, thank you for your encouragement and for encouraging everyone listening to to, to go that journey because it's so rich, isn't it? And it's, mm. it's just wonderful. And it's fun. It's great fun. Telling stories. <laughs> Telling stories, exactly. Our our world is driven by stories, isn't it? You know, headlines, everything, like you say, it's all about storytelling. How do we tell our stories? And I just want to thank you for sharing your story with us today and all your all the beautiful stories you've woven in your books, which are just such a joy and um, so enlightening and multi-layered to encounter. So thank you very much, Anna, for coming to talk to us today. Thank you so much, Katie. That's lovely. Thank you. And uh, look forward to hearing more about the next novel. So as Anna said, check her out at annasaburnlane.com. And um, yeah, please watch out for the new novel. We'll all be watching out for that. And also for forthcoming creative workshops, um, creative writing workshops. And um, to stay tuned to the podcast, thank you again for listening. Please do subscribe on YouTube or Apple Podcasts. Do let us know how you feel uh, about this. What's your experience of finding your written voice? Uh, Let us know. Drop us a comment or a line. We'd love to hear from you. And thank you so much for listening, everyone. And look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Vocal Revolution. Thank you again to my special guest, Anna. Thank you.